Um, I just want to say a very public congratulations to um, the industry veteran, David Sinclair, um, who was given a Lifetime Achievement Award at the um, National Demolition Association event uh, convention over in San Diego um, earlier this week. I've known David for for a lot of years, and and he is, I think, the most revered and most respected, and probably the most recognisable person in the entire uh, global demolition industry. Uh, and it was it was very fitting uh, for those that know David is actually a Scot, um, lives in the states now, um, but he is a Scot, uh, and his son William Sinclair, who runs Safe Dem these days, obviously a Scot as well. Um, but the uh, NDA board to honour uh, David Sinclair when he got his Lifetime Achievement Award, they all. Put Put kilts on and there were sounds of bow bagpipes as well so well played um to the nda on that and many congratulations to david sinclair up until about a decade ago um organizations like the national federation of demolition contractors had um what i used to refer to as a pet mp or two on their not their payroll but they would uh, invite them along to um luncheons and events and that kind of thing so when things like um, the planned removal of the subsidy on red diesel um, were mooted, um, when uh, basically if, if there was anything coming down from government, um, the, the NFDC and organisations like them could sit down with their tame MP, uh, explain the likely impact that that would have upon their industry. And with all, you know, if you keep your fingers crossed, the, that, that tame MP would then go back to the House of Commons and um, speak on the industry's behalf. Um, I'm not sure what the status is on that now, um, but as far as I can tell, that doesn't actually happen anymore um, because we, we seem to get um, rules and regulations. Um, if, if anyone's watched any of the shows that we've done with Terry Quornby, Dr. Terry Quornby, or Dr. Demolition, as the industry knows him, you will know that the industry is, or the demolition industry, is probably the most regulated sector in the entire country, uh, with the possible exception of maybe aviation and the nuclear industry. But demolition has to jump through just about every regulatory and le legislative hoop there is to know. Um, and all of that obviously stems from either national government or um, from local government. So things like low emission zones uh, tend to be put in place by uh, local mayors, whereas um, the switch from uh, red to white diesel is central government and, and it led by the HMRC. Um, at a time when we are being um, drowned in bureaucracy regulation, you would think that now would be the perfect time to have a good relationship with one or more uh, MPs that would be willing to fight the industry's corner. Um, my guess is is partly that the um, MPs probably don't see demolition and supporting the demolition industry as um, as being a vote winner, in which case I can understand that. But I also wonder if we as, a, as an industry and as trade bodies have basically got ourselves to the situation now where we just think we don't need that kind of thing. Um, and, and and even to the point where we just seem to accept the fact that these, these new regulations are going to cost the industry a lot more money. Um, I've, I've mentioned this before, speaking to a demolition contractor very recently, he reckons that the switch from red to white diesel is going to cost his medium-sized um, demolition company an additional £90,000 a year. Um, 
you would think that as an industry um, we would be showing a united front we would all gather behind that as a as a cause and a campaign as an initiative to try and make that um, change or at least to fight it and yet when I when I look and again, I, I am an outsider looking in in many of these instances. When you look at what the um, Scottish Plant Owners Association have done in um, their uh, lobbying to try and prevent the switch, or at least to postpone the switch from red to white diesel, you know, they've been very vocal about it. And at the same time, they've been vocal about it, um, and they're still fighting it right down to the wire on the 1st of April. They've also issued guidance to help their members and others through the transition from red to white diesel. And yet I don't sense that we're getting the same sort of thing from um, from the demolition sector, which I think is, is very, very disappointing. I will just um, throw this up um, purely because I can. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, if you are in any doubt about uh, all things um, um, red diesel related, I'm just trying to find it. I'm, my apologies. Um, the Scottish Plant Owners Association have produced um, that document there and transitioning from Red Diesel, uh, a member guidance. You can go and take a look at that. Um, let's have a look. Um, uh, just sorry, just had a, a message over from uh, from LinkedIn um, from our friend uh, Callum McIntosh, but it's nothing to do with the show, so uh, I'll I'll pop back to that at some point. Um, yeah, that, so yeah, if you've got any doubts about anything uh, red diesel to white diesel transition wise, uh, go and take a look at that. And if you need it, uh, let me know. And uh, in actual fact, let me do it right now just to save us all trying to remember to do so. If I grab um, the I've got the link there. If anybody wants a copy of that, you can find it in the chat right now. Um, so go and take a look at that. And, and uh, funnily enough, I, it was Callum McIntosh that sent us the uh, the message just now. And Callum is obviously a key driver behind uh, the publication of that uh, excellent guidance. And we had some very good comments about that guidance yesterday from people that have downloaded it and read it and digested it. Um, so please do go and take a look. Um, I mentioned it, within that silence is compliance. Um, one of the other uh, things where I think the industry, the demolition industry has failed to act, and that is in its cosy yet entirely one-sided relationship with uh, Build UK. For as long as I can remember, um, obviously Build UK used to be called the UK Contractors Group, but it's now Build UK. And for those that don't know, it is basically an amalgamation of all of the biggest tier one contractors in the construction industry um, and uh, they do. Uh, uh, certainly Build UK do have the voice of government. As long as I can remember, um, the National Federation of Demolition Contractors has been cozying up to um, the UKCG as was and Build UK as it is now in an attempt to influence the uh, members of Build UK to insist upon NFDC membership as a, a prerequisite of uh, allocating demolition work. Uh, Build UK and UKCG never have never agreed to that. They never will because ultimately... Um, their members are still driven by commercial uh, need, so they will go for um, the one. They will go for the demolition contractor that that best serves their needs, be it financially or competence-wise or whatever it might be. Um, 
and yet, as I say, the, uh, the National Federation of Demolition Contractors continues to try to um, make inroads in with Build UK. Our friend Al Grierson, uh, our latest patron, which I only spotted this morning. Al, many thanks indeed for, for joining our, our Patreon uh, group. Uh, for those that would like to get some um, additional content, um, premium content, as I like to describe it, uh, patreon.com forward slash demolition news. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash um, demolition uh, news. Uh, you you might also be interested, I did mention the podcast earlier, the only place you can actually see the podcast is over on our Patreon page. Um, but you can listen to it just about on any um, podcast platform. So, yeah, going back to my, my story about um, Build UK and the NFTC attempting to cozy up to it. So a couple of years ago, um, there was an annual general meeting of the NFTC and um, a representative of Build UK was invited along. And she was invited along not long after um, the uh, Build UK had announced that um, they had done a, a, a year's analysis of their new fair payment scheme. They put a, put in place a new fair payment scheme to ensure that they were playing their um, subcontractors and their suppliers in a timely fashion. Um, they'd been running the fair payment scheme for an entire year, and um, when the year was up, they did a survey to find how they were doing. Um, turns out they were doing really, really, really badly. In fact, not a single member of the Build UK had abided by its own fair play scheme. Good morning, Callum. I've uh, just been talking about you um, and your very, very excellent. Um, um, I'm just trying to remind myself uh, the uh, tra transitioning from Red Diesel member guidance gone down an absolute storm with uh, those that watch this show um so thank you very much indeed for sharing that Callum and thanks for all your hard work in in pulling that together particularly uh, given the fact that it was pulled together in uh, association with uh, HMRC a, a fantastic achievement so going back to my my tale of woe with uh, build uk so Build UK had um, announced the fact that they put in place a fair payment scheme and after um, a full 12 months, none of their members had abided by its rules. Um, in other words, they were still making people like demolition contractors wait for um, payment that they deserved, that they, that they had already earned. Um, representative of Build UK turns up at um, the NFDC AGM and is given the platform. She she gives a speech in which she alludes to uh, fair payment and says that in order for um, NFDC members to be paid on time, Build UK members will need their help. Uh, need their help how? Um, you would have thought that sending them an invoice along with proof of the fact that the building that was there is not there anymore would be enough help in order for them to write a check or, or send a backs payment and, and, and not have to worry about retentions and that kind of thing. But apparently not. And not only was that speech uh, accepted, when she finished, she received a round of applause. There was a packed room full of people who were being hauled over the coals through late and non-payment by the members of that woman's organisation, and she was greeted with applause. And I, I fully appreciate the need to be polite and, um, and everything else. Frankly, I would have taken her to task, um, but they chose not to do that. 
if anybody is interested in cranes or has anything to say about cranes, um, our resident resident-ish uh, expert Tristan Mays has just turned up in the chat. Morning, Tristan. Hope you're fit and well, my friend. Uh, Tristan uh, is that crane guy over on Instagram and various other places as well. Uh, he is the, uh, as I say, the resident expert in all things lifting, apparently. Um, it, it's, it's a side of the industry that I was thinking about this the other day. I was contacted by a guy on LinkedIn um, who specializes in uh, both the waste industry and the tool hire industry. So in many ways, he kind of butts up to what I do because demolition and waste are very closely uh, allied and obviously plant hire and tool hire are very closely allied. But that, I, and I don't remember ever making that a conscious decision. I work within that little space there and, and all that other stuff like cranes, like waste, like tool hire seems to happen in a, in a separate universe. Um, maybe I need to spread my wings a little bit. That apparently seems to be the way that other publishers seem to do things. Um, the fuel card companies will take a hit on the char uh, changeover because I've, if you've got a company with lots of vans drawing fuel from petrol stations, they will be asked to use the fuel bowser on site instead. Quite potentially, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I, I, it's it's one of those things. I think the uh, the red diesel um, switch. I often think this with um, the implementation of any new rules and regulations. Have you really, really thought this through? Um, and the more I look at this one in particular, the more I think that uh, maybe they haven't. Uh, we mentioned this on the show yesterday when we were first talking about the, um, the Scottish Plant Owners Association guidance. The fact that you will have, uh, certainly in certain parts of the country, not so much here in in. Um, the south of England, or certainly in London, but certainly in parts of Kent and in Scotland and in East Anglia, where you will have plant hirers and um, contractors who will spend one day working in agriculture where uh, red diesel is permitted, and the next day there'll be on construction where, by and large, it is not. Has anyone thought that through? Has anyone actually looked closely enough to, at the industry to think, that could be a problem. Um, and, and one of the things that we um, we did touch upon, and I know Callum uh, clarified this, but how much resi residual red diesel in white diesel will be permissible um, if somebody is, is stopped and they, their tank is dipped? It's, um, it's a, a question that I'm sure will become um, clear in the fullness of time. Um, New hat seems to be remarkably popular. Um, may have to switch around a little bit more often. Um, I wish I could show you, but I'm just looking up on the wall there. From where I'm sat, let me think. I've got um, I've got a Diggers and Dozers hat up there. Kinsoffer, Liebherr, Miller, JCB, Caterpillar, MTB, JCB, Komatsu, Case, JCB, Komatsu again. And then over on that wall, uh, Mechalak, John Deere, uh, Lugong, Dusan, Arden, uh, th th I've got plenty to choose from. So um, if anybody wants to get rid of um, my old trusty, uh, which I tend to rely on most uh, weekdays, um, then I may may start to switch it out a bit. Um, here is the key thing, and, and I think this is why um, the, the need to get behind um, the Scottish Plant Owners Association call for postponement is most relevant. Um, talking about uh, fuel, diesel has just gone up by uh, 20 cents a litre this morning. Obviously, uh, yeah, just to, just to clarify, um, uh, our friend Al is over in um, 
Let's have a look. He is over in, in Luxembourg, and he's just done, very quickly done the calculation. So um, 15p per litre in a single day. Um, obviously, that is a, a reflection um, of the ongoing conflict. Um, are we allowed to call it a war, or is it only if I'm, I'm sat in Russia that I'm not allowed to call it a war? Uh, but all that's going on over in um, Ukraine at the moment obviously has had a, a major uh, and significant impact upon fuel and energy costs. If ever there was a time for HMRC to take a, a large step back um, and rethink, um, at least temporarily, um, the switch from red to white diesel, surely now is um, the time. Um, we are looking at a major, major European conflict. Um, call it what you will, um, battle, war, skirmish, call it whatever you will, uh, but that is going to have a, a very, very severe impact upon energy costs. Um, and particularly when you when you think about the background to this you know we've, we've got the government pursuing um 300,000 new homes per year um for the foreseeable future um to keep the uh, to keep brits housed you've got um obviously things like hs2 and hinkley point are already in train but you've also got this planned 650 billion pounds spend on infrastructure all of which is absolutely fine. And we've, we've highlighted the fact that that will only be achievable if we've got sufficient um, skilled people to do it. But it will also only happen if you've got sufficient companies that are able to do it. And if their their fuel costs are going up at such an alarming rate, we may well not have that. Um, I think you need a crane hub hat. I, I agree. I agree. I mean, I'm not entirely sure I qualify because um, aside from the fact that they have a jib. I know precious little about cranes, but uh, Tristan, if you'd care to send me a uh, a crane hub hat, I will wear it with enormous pride. Um, so going back to um, our our silences compliance video, uh, what else was in there? Obviously, the CMA investigation. Um, and I'm going to give away some free advice now, uh, should anyone from um, the industry leadership actually be watching secretly or from behind a sofa. If I were involved in um, safeguarding the reputation of um, an industry body right now um, that was potentially going to be hit negatively by the outcome of the CMA investigation, I would... In fact, well, I, I probably would have started about a year ago, but I would, have, I would by now be... Um, embarked upon uh, a campaign of positive news placement. Um, I would be bombarding um, regular media, social media, any channel that I could think of um, with positive stories about the contribution that demolition makes to the wider world. Um, and th this will also uh, cover uh, the, the whole argument about embodied carbon as well. Um, there is there is this tendency, I think, when um, when there is bad news impending, to kind of bury your hand, uh, bury your head, and hope that it will go away. When in actual fact, the the reverse is is largely true. What should be happening is we should be pumping out there literally daily, if not hourly, news about the contribution that, that demolition makes to the construction industry, about uh, the contribution it makes to national infrastructure, um, the fact that things like schools and hospitals often start with a demolition process, about the fact that demolition is a key resource for uh, or a key provider of um, materials. 
and we mentioned within that video um, the um, the constant um, abuse that the demolition industry seems to be getting in terms of um, embodied carbon and wasting embodied carbon in existing buildings. Nobody, as far as I'm aware, has actually stood up and said, I, I understand what you're saying and, and you, you have a valid point, but let's not forget that the demolition industry actually contributes the, a lot of that material straight back into the construction process, which immediately means that you're not using virgin aggregate. So in actual fact, we're doing a balancing act. We're not necessarily um, saving all of the um, all of the um, aggregates that we need, but we are certainly replacing some of them um, and a large proportion of them. Um, let's have a look. Uh, Cal McIntosh, uh, how much fuel trace will be permissible? If you can prove with good records that you're using both fuels and swapping between them for entitled purposes, the percentage of marker won't really matter. Inspectors will accept that you are abiding by the rules if your record keep uh, keeping supports it. Record keeping is key. Um, thank you for the clarification on that, Callum. But uh, And herein lies a, another issue. And again, it goes back to this lack of joined up thinking. Who does that? Who does that record keeping? Um, is there a specific form for it? Um, I would imagine, and, and again, I've, I've never run a plant hire company. I've never run a demolition contractor. I've never run a contractor uh, business at all. But as it stands at the moment, my guess is that you will buy your fuel you'll top up your vehicles and your plant that those vehicles and that plant will go and do its day's work and then when it runs out you'll top it up again all of a sudden we now need to um, analyze and record and report what machine and what vehicle went where for how long and why um, is that is that a new job so in addition to the fact that your fuel price has now gone through the roof because of the switch from red to white diesel, you've now got to either employ somebody or dilute the job of an existing person purely to track what bit of their fuel went into agriculture, what bit went into fish farming, and what bit where we're going to pay the duty went into construction. That's that, I, I mean, that that is that argument is so filled with potential pitfalls. Um Hardly worth the cost of, of swapping. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we uh, we heard yesterday from uh, Callum that the uh, apparently the first fine is um, £250 if you're found to be using red diesel um, in an application where red diesel is no longer permissible. But it's the second, um, it's the second fine where they will um, absolutely crucify you. Um, so again, goes back to what Callum was saying there about the importance of record keeping. Uh, we've had another question here. Have you had any updates or news on the Didcot 4 investigation? Not a word. Um, I, I have been, uh, not just me, but uh, myself and, and uh, several other people have been in communication with um, the authorities, be it Thames Valley Police, Health and Safety Executive, um, uh, my local MP, uh, the MP local to Didcot, MPs local to um, the places where the four men that were killed actually live, um, MPs where their families now live, um, and we have basically hit a brick wall um, um okay Ken, uh, have a good day uh, i've got to call down to the royal mint um give the royal mint my best regards and if you can if you can find a, a an unused box of um, five pound notes i'd uh, 
you know, I can find a home for them. Have a great day, my friend. Um, uh, hardly worth swapping fuel, dirty fuel. You will end up ch uh, changing expensive filters. Red is um, really the same cost as white now. Um, not entirely sure about that, if anybody can clarify on that. Uh, but, yeah, that that obviously every time you're switching fuel in and out, you are risking contamination. So there's another cost. Um, we've already said the cost of the, the um, fuel has gone up. If we are now paying for white diesel as opposed to subsidised red diesel, there's another price increase. If you've got to pay somebody to track um, the applications in which that fuel is used, there's another cost. And if, as a result of constantly draining and refilling and draining and refilling the tank, you are then um, having to um, put in additional filtration, there's another cost. All of this cost needs to be borne by someone. In the fullness of time, I would like to think that, um, assuming that um, the, the 1st of April does mark the big switch over, as, as appears to be the case, I would imagine that three, six, 12 months down the line, we could have all factored those additional fuel costs into our tender prices and our bid prices and that kind of thing. But there is going to be that bit between um, one of the things that our friend Neil Edwards at Builders Conference says on a regular basis, work that is um, won and awarded today is unlikely to start for about another three, four, sometimes five months. So work that has been won, um, I mean, literally up until um, the, the end of March, if that's the case, and, it, and it's, been, it's been priced on... A, current red diesel prices and you are then given the job and then by the time you start in three four months time you are now on white diesel prices you may well be doing that entire job at a complete loss um <clears throat> uh, white is a 46.8 um, per litre uh, more than red um, it can only be less than that if your fuel supplier is profiteering from the situation which some are and, and th there, unfortunately, is the other side of all of this, um, as we've seen with things like the landfill tax in the past. Um, there will be unscrupulous people out there that will be rubbing their hands together right about now. Um, we've already seen lots of talk about the fact that fuel thefts are likely to go up um, because there will be a demand for um, lower cost fuel because nobody wants to pay top dollar if they can avoid it. Um, so as long as there is a ready market for people that, that don't really care too much where their fuel is coming from, there will be those that are willing to supply it. But also the fuel suppliers. Obviously, we, we do have some very good and very reputable fuel suppliers, but not all of them are that way inclined. Um, and, and by the sound of it, Callum has already um, identified um, some profiteering um and, and it is it is a, a crying shame because ultimately it is uh, the demolition and construction industry and the plant hire industry that will end up footing the bill on all of that um you're, you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and people that don't know their dozers from their harvesters that's precisely the case um I often think this, as I've said before, you know, that, that a lot of these decisions are not just at governmental level, but also at industry level. There does seem to be this uh, um, ivory tower approach where there's a, a little meeting of people that, that don't actually live and breathe 
demolition, construction, plant hire, and they come up with these grand grand schemes either to make a change um, for the change uh, for the sake of change, or to make a change because it will benefit them, and those things are passed through. Um, and and even at low le lower level, you know, when you look at um, the way that the rules and regulations over training are um, instigated. Now, obviously, the CITB is the umbrella organisation, but you know the various um, bits of the industry below that, so uh, Nokan and CPCS, CSCS, and 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 the NDTG and that kind of thing, they all make their own localised decisions. And I, I have a particular issue, frankly, with the uh, National Demolition uh, Training Group which obviously is an offshoot of the National Federation of Demolition Contractors. The rules and regulations and the training courses and the costs thereof are set by, but basically by the NFDC and NDTG in conjunction. So you have the training of the industry dictated by a tiny, tiny part of the industry, um, which seems awfully unfair to me. Um, now, I do need to make this a very quick one. Uh, Matthew Hogan, long-time follower, first-time listener. I need to head off shortly, but this has been so interesting. Matthew, uh, just before you head off, uh, those that are here on a regular basis will already know this. When we have somebody uh, showing up for the first time, they get the welcome confetti. Matthew Hogan, good morning, and thank you for joining us. I um, hope you can come back again at some point in the future. Just to let you know, uh, we are here 10 a.m., every weekday and then as often as i can we do these saturday socials where i just ramble on um uh, as for as long as i can be bothered basically um but thank you ever, ever so much for joining us for today um Mick Norton, reference JCB and sanctions against Russia. Nice to see Bamford has upgraded his company's response from pause to suspension. Changed his tune from 2014 when Malaysian airliner MH17 initiated EU sanctions against Russia, which uh, Bamford considered absurd at that time. He, I, I remember that instance and I, I did see that update today. Um, I'm, I'm not here as a spokesman for uh, JCB. Um, but ultimately, with with all of these things, you know, and, and I I do I do appreciate the stance that have, has been taken by um, people like the uh, many of the sporting organisations and that kind of thing. Um, it is a fine balancing act that somebody like a Lord Bamford will be um, making. I understand um, the need to condemn. Uh, what is happening in Russia, and and I would certainly do exactly the same thing. Um, just trying to remember. Do I still? No. I thought I actually thought I had a Ukrainian background for this show, but I don't. It's on. It's on the other show, um, so I can't do that. Um, but yeah, it is. It is a, a very very fine balancing act because obviously, while you wouldn't want to be supplying equipment and resources to um, a hostile nation that is waging a war against one of its neighbours, um, I've often said that the, the JCB obviously is a family-owned company, but it's also run as a family-owned company. Um, and there will be people within Russia. Now, whether they believe in, in what Vladimir Putin is currently doing is is almost, I wouldn't say it's irrelevant, but that that's a political thing. But there will be people that are um, people like um, the fitters that um, maintain JCB equipment in 
uh, Russia, people that are selling that equipment, people that are monitoring um, the JCB LiveLink system in Russia to ensure that those people using JCB machines that have, have bought them and have stood by that brand over a number of years perhaps um, receive the level of support that they, they deserve. And ultimately, those people are all working folk. You know, they're not politicians. They're not soldiers. They are working people who are providing for their families. So I 100% I support um, uh, Lord Bamford's decision to suspend activities in Russia. But I'm sure that must have been a very difficult decision uh, because ultimately, as I say, you, you are the person or the people you're penalising the most are people that work... Um, either for or alongside JCB. You are preventing hard-working Russian people from earning a living. Um, and, and they may well have been committed to the to the JCB, JCB brand for years or possibly even decades. Um, and I always think exactly the same thing with, um, with the, the sporting argument. I don't believe that the, uh, the Russian... Um, country should be represented in the Olympics. I don't think it should be in the um, World Cup or the Paralympics or or any of these major sporting events. I 100% I support that. But in absolute truth, the people that's penalising, you know, Vladimir Putin is not sat in um, Red Square um, thinking, I, I must end this war because Russia has just been kicked out of the Eurovision Song Contest. The only people that are suffering from that are the singers and songwriters that have been kicked out of Eurovision Song Contest. The only people that are suffering from the ban in sporting events are people that have, have worked hard, dedicated their entire lives, and have trained tirelessly for years and sometimes, in, in some instances, decades to be the very best at what it is that they do. Um, and again, I just get the, the very real impression that we are rightly and justifiably, but we are penalizing the wrong people yeah, and, and particularly when you you see and, and obviously I'm, I'm basing this on um, western views of what's going on in ukraine at the moment but it does seem to be um there does seem to be a, a generational divide uh, within russia um you've got the the old guard um the oligarchy i'm not entirely sure if that is actually a word uh, but you've got the old guard um who hark back to the days of communism and the tsars and, and and all that goes with that but you've also got young people who seem to be um less supportive in fact very anti the campaign of of, of war and invasion that is taking place at the moment and specifically when you think about things like the Eurovision Song Contest, when you think about um, the World Cup and you think about things like the Olympics and the Paralympics, who are the competitors in that? By and large, they are the young people of the nation. So the people that are um, less supportive and in some instances not supportive at all of the conflict that is taking place in Russia at the moment are the very people that are being penalised um, all leaves a bad taste in my mouth not as bad as the taste in my mouth that has been left by the conflict itself but it, it does feel very very uncomfortable and, and just while we're talking about sanctions uh, i am going to say very quick good morning morning john uh, good to see you here my friend uh, thank you for joining us um where was i going with that yeah the um we, we mentioned this on the show yesterday um and and the reason it came up was i i, I mentioned as an aside that jcb had uh, postponed its uh, activities in russia but that came off the back of a story about um cnh industrial who are the um 
owner of Case Construction Equipment and a, a bunch of other brands as well. Uh, they have already donated $500,000 to um, relief efforts over in Ukraine, um, but they've also started a global fund uh, into which their employees around the world, and there are many thousands of them, um, they can make a donation in support of the same fund. And CNH Industrial are planning um, to match that that contribution dollar for dollar. So if uh, my friend um, Crispin Turner over at uh, Case Construction Equipment decides that he's going to send um, the, the the fund $100, um, CNH Industrial will match that with another $100. And I think that's a magnificent effort. Um, so congratulations to them. Um, Exactly, Mark. Many of these sanctions and exclusions are hurt, hurting the wrong people, plus having a detrimental effect on us. Uh, Russian ships can't dock. Uh, less ships to charter. Less material gets in. Material cost goes up again. And, and, and again, <laughs> with retrospect, the theme of today's show is a lack of joined-up thinking, you know, because... Every decision, whether it is the switch from red to white diesel, whether it is um, the um, penalisation of a nation state, there is always, always, always a knock-on effect. Um, and and there is another knock-on effect. I mean, never mind um, ships. We've already seen um, the impact that um, the current conflict is having on energy and fuel prices. Um, but there's an, there's another point. And I, I did mention this, actually, uh, earlier in the week, and, I, and it is something I'm planning to revisit. We are now in an age where um, a lot of companies talk about social value. Um, it, it, it has become um, almost a USP among um, construction and demolition companies. It's not. It's no longer enough to just... Uh, knock down a building um, and hope that nobody um, is hurt or impacted by that. There's a, an awful lot of uh, social value that is uh, woven into the fabric of demolition these days. So you, for, for, for a number of years, and I, and I will single out uh, companies like Erith, uh, like Downwell and like Safe Dam up in Scotland, who do very good um, community liaison works um they reach out to local schools um you know they, they really work very very hard in the local community um, and try and try and explain what the demolition is all about what it's likely impact will be and so on they they all use um dust suppression to to minimize disruption they minimize noise they work within certain hours and that kind of thing so social value has been um it's been happening in the background anyway, but I think once somebody coined the term social value, I think it's become far more uh, prevalent and far more um, obvious. But how far can you take that? Um, and and I, I will I will use this as an example. Let's let's look at the Russian conflict now. To the best of my knowledge, I don't think there there is much russian built equipment um circulating in the uk construction demolition or plant hire uh, market but let's say there was if you're a plant hirer or a demolition contractor or a main contractor are you likely to boycott a brand because of its origins um and bearing in mind the knock-on effect that you might have from that, i.e. the fact that you already hold parts for it, you have uh, warranties, are you going to send back a machine because of, of where it was built and, and everything else? And then taking that to the next stage, if we do seem to have obviously some division in the world about um, who is currently pro-Russian and who is currently 
uh, anti-Russian um, in, in the ongoing conflict. So if China decides to throw its weight behind um, the Russian initiative and campaign in Ukraine, would you, could you decide that Chinese-built equipment, so Chinese-built excavators, Chinese-built um, attachments are no longer acceptable within your business? And, and I, I realize that's a, a very difficult decision to make, um, and it would be a costly decision to make. But you'd have to think, if, if something like this conflict were to last for a long time, um, and bearing in mind that we now have Tier 1 contractors who are looking very closely at social value, if you were to stand up and say, you know, we, we, you know, we, we fully signed up to um, the whole social value initiative, you know, we, we are employing local people, we're... Um, we are uh, switched over to HVO fuel to minimise our environmental impact. Um, we've got dust suppression and noise suppression and vibration suppression. We will um, do community outreach to get local people and local skilled children onto our sites. We will do all of that. And then at the end of the day, we're going to take it down, take that uh, building down using excavators built by a built within a nation state that is supporting a an unfair and unjust war. How far will the Tier 1 contractors take that? Could they insist that you switch? Um, it's an interesting one. And, and funnily enough, there's, there's a point. Callum McIntyre says a lot of people watching this on an iPhone made in China. They'd need to throw it away too. My life exists on my iPhone. Um, somebody would have to pry that from my cold, dead hands, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but then what does that say about me as a person? Um, I, I, my guess is my, my argument would be that I've already bought it. Why would I get rid of a perfectly reasonable um, device? But it's it's like those, and I, I count myself among them, uh, it's like I, I, I often, you know, I, I like boxing as a sport. Um, every once in a while somebody is seriously hurt or um, unfortunately killed in boxing and I do find myself feeling guilty about my uh, love of boxing. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, I just decide, well, you know, I'll go back to watching boxing. And I, I fear I would be exactly the same with the iPhone. Um, yes, I would probably express some public guilt, but how far, how far can you take it? How far should you take it? Um, uh, and as I say, that's a, it's a subject that I, I may well revisit in a, in a column or a video at some point. Um, uh, I think that's probably going to do us. Um, just to be absolutely um, clear, um, I am heading off shortly to head down to uh, Worthing to see my father in the vain hope of trying to convince him to come and live in this space here. It's bigger than it looks, to be perfectly honest. You know, it's per there's plenty of room for him in here. Um, I'll probably have to take away the, uh, the hard hat collection because... Um, they won't mean a great deal to him um but yeah uh, but that's the, the plan for this afternoon so if you'd like more of this kind of stuff um i will just remind you that we do have a, a brand new podcast show um called beyond the reporter's notebook which is the stories behind the stories uh, i said this at the outset but i'm going to reiterate it very quickly 
I've travelled the world and a lot of the UK and a lot of Europe and so on um, for the past 33 years, looking at and reporting on demolition and construction equipment. And you would, as you would imagine, over the course of 33 years, I have seen a lot. I've met a lot of people and I've experienced the highs and lows of uh, the life of a journalist. Um, so I've decided to bring some of that to the fore um, to tell you the stories behind the stories. And the first episode of that uh, recounts the time that I was held at gunpoint in um, Alexandria Port in uh, Egypt many, many moons ago. Um, I, would like to, I would like to say how brave I was under fire. There was no fire. There was just a gun pressed against my neck. But I would love to say I was, I was brave and, and stoic terrified absolutely terrified <laughs> so if you'd like to, to get the gist of that go and have a listen to that just go to um, any podcast platform and search for uh, demolition news radio and you'll find it uh, thanks for that paul i didn't see you lurking there but i uh, appreciate you being here um uh, that to be perfectly honest as i say that's that's really what the uh, the saturday social is all about it's just chewing the fat and uh, shooting the breeze and seeing where it all takes us and i certainly didn't expect to be um making my own personal comments on social value and the war in ukraine um but that's where the conversation took us um i'm just going to remind you very quickly i've mentioned this before also, if you have a smart speaker, and I have one, so I can't mention her name, but if you've got a smart speaker, just ask her or him or it to um, play Demolition News Radio. And the latest episode on Demolition News Radio is Beyond the Reporters Notebook, so you'll get that plumbed straight into your ears. Uh, the government policy objective regarding red diesel states, red diesel is diesel used mainly for off-road purposes. It accounts for around 15% of all the diesel used in the UK and is responsible for the production of nearly 14 million tonnes of carbon dioxide a year. Not easy to combat those statistics. No, it isn't. And, and I, I do think it is it is worth stating for the record that while I would I would like to see a postponement um, of the red to white diesel transition for six months, at least while the uh, the Ukrainian conflict is going on, I do believe that we, we need to move away from uh, diesel. Red, white, purple, I don't care. We need to move away from it. But my biggest issue with the way that this has all been handled is, A, could we not have waited until there was a proper, proper alternative, be it um, hydrogen or electric or biofuel or whatever it might be? Could we not have waited a year or two until that was actually here and usable? And, and even if that wasn't the case, you know, we, we have an, uh, uh, an issue at the moment where we have uh, a lot of the equipment that we, we are running at the moment can be easily switched over to HVO. As it stands at the moment, HVO is um, not as widely available as perhaps some might like. Would we not have been better to encourage the use of HVO if we'd encouraged the use of HVO by offering a subsidy? And I'm not saying it needs to be the full diesel subsidy, but even if it was half, you know, enough to make people think, actually, rather than going back to white diesel and paying through the nose, I'll, I'll save myself a few quid and switch instead to uh, HVO. If there were enough people buying HVO as a result of that, there would be more investment in HVO, we would have wider availability, and we would have a, a very positive impact upon the environment. Instead of which, I just get the impression that the switch to red diesel is a, a well-intentioned cash grab. Nothing more than that. Um, 
Just to clarify, the SPOA supports the industry-wide decarbonisation. We just want to collaborate with government and manufacturers to do it in a structured way. Yeah, that, and that, to be honest, I mean that I, I think that's why I I, um, I appreciate the uh, the work of uh, the Scottish Plant Owners Association because I, that's exactly where I'm coming from. You know, I I, I totally believe in decarbonisation. Um, the road to zero um, emissions is. A little too long for my liking you know i know we're all aiming for 2050 i wish it was 2030 uh, and so on down the line but to get there in in a way that doesn't crucify the construction and demolition industry to get there in a way that doesn't cause um, some of those businesses to go out of business i just think we need we need to take and I can't believe I'm going to use this expression. I think we just need to take our foot off the gas a little bit um, and not rush this through um, and, and to take into account um, world events that are currently impacting upon energy and fuel prices. Um, so, yeah, that, that will do us for today. Um, I think that um, I think that I'm going to go back to what Paul said. Um, I'd like to claim responsibility for all the good points made today. Don't, don't think I did. Um, a lot of it has, has actually come from uh, the audience, as it always does. Um, is HBO not just uh, burning other people's food crops? Uh, we had a short phase of biodiesel in 2011 or so. 20% of the fuel uh, came from plants. I'm not a big enough expert on, on HVO. What I do know, though, is it is um, obviously um, a, a lower emission alternative. And even if it's even if we see it purely as a stopgap, is that such a bad thing? Um, my personal feeling is it probably isn't. Um, but 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 also my personal feeling is, could we not have waited for another year, maybe two years? You, you would have to think, and, and I was talking to somebody yesterday about uh, the Balmer exhibition, and it does appear that we're going to have quite a few um, big-name stayaways um, from the Balmer exhibition. Uh, we've already announced that um, JCB and Volvo aren't going to be there. Um, Caterpillar have taken a step back, and it was only going to be their uh, German dealer, Zeppelin, that are going to be there. So there are going to be some holes, but I would love to think that we will actually arrive at Bauma and all of the talk will be about the fact that somebody has actually got over the finish line with the first hydrogen production machine. I know, uh, I know Volvo are working on it in the background. I know JCB are a long way down the line. Uh, they've got a, a, a prototype excavator, a backhoe loader, and a telescopic handler, all of which I think were shown at COP26 uh, back end of last year. Um, but it, what we need next is, is somebody to actually put this into production because I do think it's going to be a domino effect. I think once somebody does it and, and starts to uh, gain the benefit from that, I think that will, that will, as I say, that will have a domino effect and, and other, other manufacturers will have no choice but to keep up. Um, um, Al, check out page 14 of the guidance in the link in the comments for HVO info. Um, Yes, Mark, it's like the space race. Belmont is going to be really exciting this year. I hope it is. I really hope it is. Um, as I say, there are some stayaways. And and the fact that they are stayaways, obviously, you know, a, a Belmont without a JCB or without a Volvo is going to be lesser. Um, but I'm sure that the others, you know, the, the Hitachis and the Komatsus are most certainly uh, Liebherr, um, who um, Liebherr make Balma their own every single time that the event is on. Um, I'm sure they will put on a good show. But I think where my concern lies uh, is the fact that those uh, big names, the Volvos and the JCBs, are actually the people that get punters through the door. 
in the nicest possible way, nobody is likely to fly from the UK to Bauma just to see somebody that makes buckets or hydraulic breakers or um, grabs. Nine times out of ten, I think those those people that are in that market are going to Bauma to see Caterpillar, to see Volvo, to see JCB, and then they happen to pass by. Um, they they pass by the attachment stands, and and I, I think I, I and I I know <laughs> I I know I know exactly what you're saying, uh, Callum, and, and and I'm sure there are some people that do. I, I I'm sure there are some people that do, but I I do think if you and I realise Hillhead is a different thing, but when you look at the um the flow of traffic at something like a Hillhead exhibition. So for those that don't know, you, you come into Hillhead. It's in a quarry. It's at the foot of a quarry. And you come down the whole road. And I think if you were to do um, a, a time and motion study, most people go down the whole road, turn right, and turn right again, and they head down to the face. And the quarry face is where Volvo are. It's where Caterpillar are. It's where Komatsu, Doosan, Liebherr, all of the big, big names are down there. And then once people have seen the big dump trucks and the big wheel loaders and the big excavators, they then walk back through the show, checking out the tire makers and the attachments makers and, and all that kind of thing. So I, I, I think in the nicest possible way, and I, and I mean this with the greatest respect for anybody that's in the attachments business, I think exhibitions, um, particularly sort of the lesser, the, the smaller manufacturers and those that, um, that are not sort of frontline manufacturers like a Caterpillar or a Volvo, I think there is a drop down of, of breadcrumbs from the table. I think people go to dine upon Caterpillar and Volvo and Komatsu and Hitachi and Liebherr and they the, the crumbs from that then fall down and and, and I think that's where the uh, the smaller manufacturers um earn their crust as it were. I don't know where all the food analogies are coming from. Um yeah, you're right though. Uh, people do go for the big hitters. Uh, they do. And, and 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 I'm equally guilty. You know, if hand on heart, hand on heart, when I go to um something like a Bauma or a Conexpo, the people that I find uh, most interesting to watch are often companies like uh, Mechalac and uh, Wacker Neusen because they they have a very unique vision of construction equipment. Um, quirky equipment uh, is the nicest way I could possibly describe it. Um, that that I think is 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 laudable, and I, I always find it a very interesting watch. Much the same as I used to spend my time at um, a Samota show, avoiding the big hitters and going to find the, uh, the quirky little Italian manufacturers because they were doing things that were kind of off the norm and, and very very interesting. But I am every bit as guilty. You know, I I tend to go to. I'll tell you now. The last time I did um, Balma, my first day and a half was spent purely on the Liebherr stand. Um, there was so much there. I had so much to cover. I had so many films to produce, so many people to speak to. The first day and a half of a, what is it, a five, six days show, the first day and a half was spent entirely dedicated to Leap here. Um, I probably did a day with Caterpillar. And then you find yourself running around trying to get to you know, some of the outlying stands and, as I say, some of the, the, the more quirky and, and, and unusual uh, equipment. And, and every time I go to a Conexpo, much the same as, as when I go to a, Connex, uh, a Bauma and a Conexpo, I come back um, kicking myself because I know for a fact that I've missed something. Um, 
and again, I think that's one of the things that we've got going in our favour now with the uh, the whole idea of the construction collective. Um, I, me, uh, stand, as a standalone, um, would find it very, very hard to cover even a tiny fraction of Lee, uh, of um, a Bowmer. But with uh, my son working with me, but also working alongside Nick Drew, who has just popped up uh, on the chat, and uh, Peter Haddock and people like that, you can cover more of the show. And, and you know... It, if if you meet up with those guys in the evening and, and Nick says, oh, you've got to go to, I don't know, the XCMG stand way, way down the other end of the show because they've got something really weird and wonderful. Then I can go and see the weird and wonderful thing. Otherwise, it is absolutely tempting to just go and hang out with Lee Bear, drink beer, eat pretzels and have a fine old time. Right, enough. Uh, I've already overrun the hour and I promised myself I wasn't going to do that. So I'm going to love you and leave you all. Thanks for being here, as always, um, on a Saturday. Um, never know if anyone's going to show up. Never entirely sure I'm going to show up, to be perfectly honest with you. But um, always worthwhile doing. Um, just to let you know, uh, these shows are recorded, um, but they are unlisted uh, once we upload them over on um on youtube so um the only people that get to see the videos after the show are our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash demolition news if you would like to become a patron please feel free it's not necessary but you can become one for as little as a, a dollar a month um so not not bad uh, value um also if you would um like a, a a direct link to the show um, to recap some of the bits and pieces we've discussed, um, then drop me a line. Uh, you know where to find me on Facebook or on LinkedIn, um, and I will send you a direct link uh, to the unlisted video. But until then, everybody, have a great weekend. Uh, stay safe. Look after yourself, your family, your friends, and your colleagues. I'm actually off to look after my family right about now. Uh, I'll see you Monday morning, all things being equal. Have a good one. Cheers. <laughs>